and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from Stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. As we watch growing protests across much of Russia, it's important to note that the root causes are not only political in nature. To put recent protest movements in context, it's necessary to look at the culture, technology, and especially demographic factors at play today. More than 25 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, a new generation is coming of age across Eurasia, the region the Kremlin once dominated, and young people that never knew life under communism are now challenging Russia's long-standing influence. To learn more about this generational shift and what it means going forward, Stratfor senior Eurasia analyst Eugene Chazovsky joins us for this edition of the Stratfor podcast. He's examined this dynamic in detail and will help us understand what it really means for Russia and others in the region. Thanks again for joining us. So Eugene, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So Eugene, something we've been talking about recently and certainly something we've been seeing evidence of on the ground is this this generational shift that appears to be underway in Russia. And I was wondering if you could give me a little bit of context and background to, to what we mean when we talk about the, this generational shift, certainly in the former Soviet Union. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been about a quarter century now, about 25 years since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And in this 25 years, there's been a lot of changes that have happened within Russian society and within the society of all of the former Soviet states. So they had a lot in common, obviously, during the Soviet era, given that Moscow was in central control, uh, that, you know, essentially a lot of elements of society, political, economic, uh, were, were very much controlled by the state, and it was a very centralized apparatus. Russia was obviously the dominant player there, and the Russian language was used by all administrative and essentially social purposes. Uh, but now, 25 years later, that's given a lot of time for, for things to shift, and I think that's what we're starting to see really come to the fore just now. And it's certainly been a challenge for the Russian core, hasn't it, to maintain its influence in all these outlying regions, especially when some of them are getting pulled almost beyond the Russian orbit and, uh, and starting to carve their own path. But also, I guess there is this sense of, of whether this, this core Russian ideology is still relevant in the modern age. And that seems to be something that a lot of countries and individuals are struggling with at the moment. Yes, absolutely. It, essentially, there, there's two elements here in terms of what we're talking about with this generational shift. One being the cultural shift underway. So as I mentioned before, you know, Russian language was, was a key part of, of Soviet life. If you wanted to, whether it was in the administrative, the, the political apparatus, or, or just in everyday conversations, uh, certainly between the different Soviet nations, I mean, Russian dominated. That is now starting to change uh, in a gradual way as countries have shifted towards their national languages, of course. But even when you're talking about foreign languages, Russian is starting to become de-emphasized, whereas other languages like English, of course, uh, but even languages like French, German, Chinese, even in Central Asia, th these are starting to become more studied and more practiced. Now, the other aspect is, and this is the big one, is the, is the political changes that have been taking place uh, both within Russia and in the Soviet uh, belts, the former Soviet belts, which is the, a change in the way that governments interact with their citizens and vice versa. And we're starting to see these changes really rise up in terms of protests, and not just protests over specific issues like we've seen in the past, but protests over general things like corruption or over the economic situation. 
Um, and, and especially with younger people becoming more active in protests and using tools like social media. So these are changes that are really testing and really challenging Russia's position both at home and abroad. So there are a couple of interesting angles in this I'd like to explore a little deeper. Um, one is the social media aspect. But before then, the fact that actually protests are being allowed in, in the first case is kind of uh, it's a real breakthrough because certainly, you know, when we think about the Soviet Union pre-Gorbachev, you know, before the sort of the various reforms and policies that allowed Russians to really be able to question policy in general, you know, protest was unimaginable. If, if you stepped out of line or spoke against the state, you would very quickly be taken out of commission. Whereas now, but even being able to protest seems um, progressive in many aspects. Yes, absolutely. But we should keep in mind that it took a while for us to get where we are now. Uh, because, as you mentioned, during the Soviet era, protests were pretty much unthinkable. If they happened, then they were immediately met with either detention, deportation, or, you know, in, in, in the worst case, death. And people were still very much, even after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, people were very much hesitant to protest because, you know, those those kinds of aspects, those kinds of ingrained characteristics are, are hard to overcome. And so we started to see some protests, they were typically very small, but security forces were very quick to crack down on them. But over the course of the last decade, and especially the last few years, people as living standards have have risen, um, and as people's expectations of, of what the government does for them and you know how they interact with, with the citizenry has changed, we're starting to see protests becoming increasingly common. People are no longer as afraid of, of the government and of security forces as they were as they used to be. Uh, but that's still an ongoing and it's still very much a, a work in progress. I mean, these are, this is not Western Europe. There are still crackdowns on protests in, in certain cases. Uh, so it, it's very much, uh, you know, in the evolutionary process. We'll return to our conversation with Stratfor senior Eurasia analyst Eugene Chalzowski in just a moment. But if you're enjoying the conversation, you should read his extended analysis on worldview.stratfor.com. It's called In Eurasia, The New Generation Challenges Russia's Dominance. We'll include a link in the show notes. And if you're not already a Worldview member, consider subscribing if you want sober, unbiased analysis on world affairs. As Stratfor's premier digital publication, Worldview brings global events into valuable perspective with a unique methodology grounded in the study of geopolitics. Individual, team and enterprise subscriptions are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Now let's get back to our conversation with Stratfor's Eugene Chalzowski on the demographic shifts across Eurasia, challenging Russia's dominance in the former Soviet sphere of influence. You have a whole generation of young people in Russia who are either very, very small when um, the Soviet Union fell apart or weren't even born uh, in the early 90s. And they're now coming of age in a, a radically different Russia to the one that their parents and their forebears really knew. And coupled with that, over the last um, few years, we've seen a real explosion in um, in technology, uh, specifically the Internet, social media, and having this ability to kind of share information and uh, access communication networks, which cannot really be clamped down by the state. So it seems like a number of factors are really coalescing uh, in Russia at the moment. And that seems to be a problem for the Kremlin. It's very much of a problem, um, and, and not just for the Kremlin, but we've seen it in, in other countries throughout the region. I think the Euromaidan uprising in Ukraine was really a, a breakthrough moment, because if you go back and look at what prompted uh, that 
revolution, uh, it started with a small protest. Uh, you know, after the then government of Yanukovych, he, he basically abandoned a pro-EU integration deal that they had been negotiating for several years. Uh, but at the very last minute, he basically decided to drop that and, and sort of put his lot in with Russia. Now, this created some, some protests, especially amongst younger people, uh, initially. And it, it wasn't very big. I mean, maybe a few dozen, a few hundred people came out uh, onto the central square in Kiev. But the way that the government chose to react to those protests, and that was through a security crackdown, you know, the police came in, you know, knocked a few heads around. And this created this huge reaction where with the help of social media, with the help of, you know, word of mouth, hundreds of thousands of people came out onto the streets because people felt like this, this was not how they wanted to see their country anymore. This is not, this is no longer the Soviet Union and, and Ukraine, especially younger people wanted, to, wanted a different future for themselves. The, the differing expectations combined with the use of technology, the internet, social media especially, is what got a lot of people out onto the streets and several months later, the government was overthrown. Um, so that kind of opened up a lot of different, uh, it just changed the way that people th- that people viewed how to protest and, and how to accept government norms. And we've seen that now spread to other places, Belarus even, which is a fairly centralized and fairly authoritarian country. We saw protests happen over the course of several months over uh, unpopular tax policy. In Russia, even, we've seen protests now happen, tens of thousands of people, and a lot of them were either teenagers or in their 20s, came out because they're just fed up with, with corruption and, and the status quo. So it's, it's had this kind of spreading effect, and, and governments, as you mentioned, are, are having a very difficult time of, how, of, of dealing with it because they can't use the, the same old methods that they used to. And it's not necessary for one of trying. We've already seen... Uh... We've already seen Russia attempt to try and crack down on social media usage in in its own borders. But this is the problem when you're talking about networked communications that route through the Internet as opposed to, you know, regular uh, channels that you can simply jam or interfere with. It's very, very hard to to break up those kind of networks. And it seems like you have an ability for these messages to disseminate, but also, as you mentioned, a very strong motivation. And certainly in the case of, of uh, Ukraine, it was a very strong response in return by by the the Russians, which led effectively to the annexation of the the eastern part of Ukraine and and of Crimea. I I guess the question I have now is, is where do we see this going? There there is the ability for uh, a younger demographic to to mobilize uh, in Russia and in in the Russian periphery. Um, And we see this this protest movement not really dying away. So where does it go from here? To what extent can they actually shape the direction of, of politics beyond traditional methods? And to what extent can this be controlled by the powers that be? Well, I think shape is the key word here because it's impossible to completely control you know, these kinds of uh, avenues of, of communication. And there's, there's a few different things that some of these governments are trying to do. So, for example, you're seeing in, in Ukraine... Social media is is so widespread amongst the uh, younger generation, and especially Russian, you know, despite the conflict that Ukraine has, the ongoing conflict in eastern Ukraine, which is supported by Russia, a lot of people in Ukraine use Russian social media outlets. Um, In fact, I think 80% uh, use VContact, which was, you know, the most popular social media platform. Ukraine has now gone and blocked that use. This happened a couple of weeks ago. 
basically citing national security concerns that you know this is these are it's metadata that Russia can use by by studying the the use of social media and trying to manipulate the government and manipulate society in that sense. So they can block external social media platforms. Now even even with that, there's a lot of ways to get around it using VPNs. Uh, so it's not a, a surefire method, but you can certainly limit it in that, and in that sense, distance the the population, especially the younger generation from Russia. Uh, Russia, too, has tried to control or at least shape its own younger generation. You know, just as, as we've seen a lot of young people come out and protest, Russia is, is uh, really fostering um, the new generation with its own sort of media propaganda. There's these youth patriotic movements, which, which just re- recently held a, ra- a rally during the, the Victory Day uh, parade. And so Russia is basically trying to steer these younger people away from from protesting out onto the streets and and more towards you know acting within the reg- regime's interest. Uh, so it, it's it's a very complex, fluid situation, and every situation has to be dealt with differently. So putting this into context, Eugene, where does this fit broadly into our geopolitical forecast for for Russia? Right. So I think from Russia's perspective, there's a few different issues which are challenging its influence in the longer term. So as we mentioned, the, there's the, the decline of the Russian language as a primary language in this belt of former Soviet states. Then we have how the, the evolution of how citizens are interacting with their governments, which is making it more difficult to control things from, you know, from a centralized perspective. And finally, one thing that we didn't mention, but that is really important, is that Russia's demographic outlook is also going to be a big challenge for, for Moscow moving forward. By 2050, Russia is projected to lose about 10% of its population. And this comes as other powers within the region, countries like Turkey, Iran, and even the U.S., have much more favorable demographic outlooks. So just as Russia is being uh, challenged, you know, by the political, by the cultural changes that are taking place in, in, in the former Soviet periphery, so will it face challenges uh, within its own population and in its decline. So I don't think that this means that Russia is going to collapse anytime soon, or even that Russia will be completely eliminated as, as a regional player. But certainly it will face a decline and it will face challenges to preserving the influence that it's had for all of these years. Very much so. And uh, if you're interested in reading more on this subject, you can actually check out Stratfor Worldview, uh, a companion piece to this, which is In Eurasia, A New Generation Challenges Russia's Dominance. Eugene, thank you so much for joining me today to, uh, to talk through this topic. Thank you for having me. That concludes this episode of the Stratfor podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation about the role shifting demographics play in challenging Russia's regional influence, you can read our extended analysis at worldview.stratfor.com. We'll include a link to that along with some related reading in the show notes. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast, or even an idea for a future episode, let us know. You can call us at 1-512-744-4300, extension 3917, or reach us by email at podcast at stratfor.com. And don't forget to leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback and your review also helps others discover the podcast. It just takes a few moments and you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Thanks for listening.